0: I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act (laughs) like the sink a lot. lot.
3: Yeah.
0: I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right,
3: doing business constantly. Uh Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh huh. Disciplining you (laughs) in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic Five. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. First things first, let's give it up for our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams, who you may recognize from earlier appearances as a special guest on Ridiculous History. And they call me Ben, uh, our ride or die. Our brother-in-arms, Mr. Noel Brown, is away, but will be returning soon. Today... Max, we are diving into a story that has haunted me and hopefully many other people <laughs> for uh, for some time now. We're not diving into this story alone. We're going to talk about a mystery in the world of fast food. And to do this, we have to be joined with an expert, a very special returning guest, Max. Uh, we both know him, good friend of the show, dear friend of ours, a famous infamous member of the Ridiculous History Pantheon, folks, let's have a big hand for the one and only Jonathan Strickland.
2: There is a little man called Jonathan. There is
1: a little man called
3: Jonathan.
1: And though it may sound strange to you, everybody
2: tells him what to do. Hmm.
3: Expert, you say? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh
3: no. so, so that's a okay, visual okay, that gag for an well audio done. podcast <laughs> that's very well done
1: <laughs> uh so uh everyone we had been hanging out off air just chatting about uh this series this two-part episode and jonathan i didn't know until just now that you have been saving that mcdonald's cup for the entirety of our conversation just a
3: Oh, and the hey, fries. fries. <laughs> yeah, I, I have misophonia, so I'm not going to actually eat on mic.
4: It <laughs> uh, makes three of us on this recording, so thank you.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, we should do an episode about misophonia at some point, too. So he, here we go. Here's here's our Here's how we're starting this. If you're a ridiculous historian of a certain age, you might remember a time when things were a little bit different at this world-famous fast food chain, McDonald's. like The menu is still pretty much the same, burgers, fries, soda. But back in the day, kids and adults alike associated McDonald's with an entire pantheon of food-related characters. The most famous, the crown jewel, Mr. Ronald McDonald. And before we dive in, Jonathan, just like off- uh, off topic here uh how are you doing it's been forever
3: uh i'm i'm quite well thank you for asking yeah uh i think since the last time i chatted with you i had covid twice so that's great <laughs> wow <laughs> uh twice? no but everything's like fine how far apart uh february and then june actually we probably did have a chat at some point in between there but uh, yeah, I managed to get it uh, over Valentine's Day and over my birthday, so I know how to mark an occasion. Oh. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> but apart from that, everything is going very well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you find the play, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so Too
4: soon, Ben. Too soon. Too still soon. too soon on that one. Still too <laughs> soon. So,
1: uh, now that we are now that we are well met uh, we have a mystery that we're going to dive into here. And where better to start than at the actual history, the origin and genesis of McDonald's? I, I don't know about you guys, but I was surprised by how many strange evolutions and twists and turns this took. Uh, it was It's weird because some of the statements you read don't agree with each other. And Mm. we can say, hopefully without throwing too many Molotovs, uh, we can safely say that McDonald's marketing and PR has a very clear, very specific narrative of their own. Would you agree with that?
3: I certainly would agree with that. I also think this is one of those topics where careful note-taking was not part of the process, right? So whenever we're talking about something along these lines, you end up with timelines and recollections that may not measure up, but you're also talking about different perspectives. We're talking about the the dawn of the franchise restaurant era. And that's also something that we should keep in mind throughout the course of these discussions, because when we talk about McDonald's, you have to remember in the early days, we were talking about like a local restaurant. We're not talking about a national chain early on. And so a lot of the things that we would associate with McDonald's much later, that was just not present in the early days.
1: Yeah, well said. It was a very, very different landscape. McDonald's is named after these two guys, these brothers, Richard and Maurice McDonald. They're in San Bernardino, California, and their dad, Patrick, had opened a food stand back in 1937 called the Airdrome. Uh, the, the brothers originally had a car hop. Uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with that idea, it's, I guess the best modern comparison is basically Sonic, right? Sonics? hmm
3: hmm
4: Those still exist, right?
1: Yeah. Yes.
3: I think so. Oh,
4: nice. Yeah, yes. I think so, too.
1: <laughs> so, so here's the deal they, um, these brothers, the brothers McDonald have this restaurant idea. And if you look at the original signs, it advertises barbecue, honestly. And they've been working on this in the 40s and October. Oh,
4: I'm gonna jump in here. McDonald's still advertises barbecue, they have the greatest barbecue dish of all time called the McRib.
1: Oh, <laughs> we're having the McRib
4: debate. No, I. I'm just thinking of the John Oliver line. It's in a second episode of last week tonight where he compares the McRib to the death penalty.
3: <laughs> I'll, okay.
4: I'll, I'll, I'll bite it there.
1: You're just going to leave it there. Okay. I
4: leave it there. You can go look up the video. If you're listening right now, you can look up that video. It's very easy to find.
1: And we're going to find some even uh, more disturbing things as we go. Uh, just the advertising alone. We've got to play some clips in the future, but here we go. So, it's October, it's 1948. The brothers McDonald have an epiphany. They look at each other and they say, "Hey, that's weird. Most of our profits are only coming from one thing on the menu. Hamburgers. Let's close we're closing shop. We got to rethink everything." And they do. And they really simplify their menu which, you know, folks like uh, Anthony Bourdain will tell you is the key, is a good indicator of a good restaurant, right? A small, short menu. Uh, eventually, they decide, okay, we're only going to sell a few things. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, potato chips, coffee, soda, and for some reason, apple pie. Uh, I'm not an apple pie into, uh, aficionado, so I, I guess there's a reason for that. Maybe it was just easy to... Make and package, or maybe
3: it's all American. like
1: apple pie. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's
4: quintessential. It's very quintessential there, Ben. Mm. All right.
1: But well, you guys are making <laughs> me sound un American, which I'm, I'm, I mean, <laughs> are we making
4: you sound un American, or you're, you're the one here questioning the importance of apple pie, which is like the most un American thing ever? What are you going to say? Our national pastime is soccer now?
1: Okay, I'll play your reindeer games because Max, apples are originally from Kazakhstan. Boom. <laughs> so anyhow, that, that aside, uh, by 1952, the Brothers McDonald's say, okay, we need a new building to reflect our new strategy. It needs to be uh, more efficient, and it needs to have this kind of eye-catching appearance. It can't just be a squat brick and mortar and this is what leads them eventually to what we recognize as the golden arches. But Jonathan, you had noted that the arches themselves kind of had an evolution, right? Wasn't there just like one arch at the beginning or something?
3: Well, it's it's that the actual architecture of the building was held up by a pair of arches that did not connect to one another. There was no connection. So you had a pair of arches, but they didn't form the letter M. That would actually come much later because Roy Kroc, who's a very important person in the history of McDonald's, uh, the legend goes that he sold a ton of milkshake machines to the McDonald brothers and wanted to find out what the heck they were doing with so many uh, milkshake machines. And that's what got him interested in the whole McDonald's thing. Well, he, when he started to rethink the logo, he put these two arches into an overlap with one another to form the golden arches and make kind of an M shape. And then later on, he would pull them apart a little bit more so that they would just make an M as opposed to this kind of overlap. Their inner, the inner legs of the arches were overlapped in the original logo. So it kind of looked like an M and kind of looked like a mess. Uh, But then by, I think, 1968, he had it where it was the actual M. But yeah, it all dates back to this second uh, location for, for McDonald's.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is something that you know it it is public knowledge, but I think for a lot of people listening today, we've always just sort of thought of McDonald's as this static thing, right? That came into being whole and entire. It's very much not the case, As, as a matter of fact. I was surprised to learn that McDonald's had a different mascot before Ronald McDonald, he's a guy named Speedy S P E E D E. he uh he also he had a uh so he's like a chef he's got a, a hamburger head like a vertical hamburger for a head uh you can still apparently see him around some older mcdonald's but he was never quite a ronald
4: so i actually got a story about this um i did not uh what does that look jonathan
3: Oh no! That look was me being excited to hear your story because all I was going to say is that he has kind of a squinty Popeye eye. Uh, it looks like he got poked in the in one of his eyes whenever you see the pictures of him. But uh, I am I am eager to hear your story. So uh, this
4: is a this is from a very young Max's memory. So like this is back when I lived in Detroit. My family moved here when I was six. So this is very young. But there was a I don't remember what part of Detroit it was, but there was a McDonald's that had this mascot still. Cause I, I saw this one. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know that one immediately. I remember this one. I remember my mom explaining it to me what the mascot was. And she didn't really know, but she's like, yeah, it was like, I don't know a different mascot. Oh man, this, this is, this is creepy to me.
1: Yeah. Speedy is definitely a product of his time. Not being, <laughs> uh, you know, we don't mean that in a disrespectful way. We're just saying that things change. And that's something that factors into Ronald as well. Uh, Speedy, look, is never in any commercials. You're not going to hear about him often unless people are specifically talking about the early history of McDonald's. So R.I.P. Speedy, you whizzed by us just like you always promised you would. Man of your word, hamburger head of your word. So Speedy met his demise when a new mascot came into town. In 1967, McDonald's officially chose a clown named Ronald as their new representative. But again, like everything with early McDonald's, this was part of an ongoing evolution. And Jonathan, I really like the way you tell the story here. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob.
0: Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: see Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well,
0: yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know?
3: Sure, yeah. So uh, this was something that I was already familiar with. Uh, I think a lot of people have heard the story. Uh, and I started off by saying, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica says that the first emergence of Ronald McDonald was in 1963. And if you can't trust the Encyclopedia Britannica, then what kind of crazy world do we live in, huh? So here's here's how things played out. And this also comes back to that, that element that we're talking about a local restaurant, not looking at it as a national chain yet. There was this franchise children's entertainment called Bozo the Clown, which started way back in the 1940s. And uh, in 1956, a guy named Larry Harmon said, this is a good idea. I would like to have Bozo the Clowns in different markets around the United States. Let's franchise this children's character. So they did. And you had lots of little stations around the United States that had their very own Bozo the Clown show. It was all modeled after the original character, but it was played by different actors, uh, had slightly different setups in the various regions. The big one, obviously, was Chicago. But over in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area, there was a television station that had Bozo the Clown. And uh, they had hired a guy named Willard Scott. That name might be familiar to a lot of you out there to be Bozo the Clown on this show. And a sponsor for this show was the local McDonald's. So it was a McDonald's in the Baltimore area. But after, you know, a couple of years, the television station canceled the Bozo the Clown show. Reportedly, what happens next is Willard's sitting there And someone from McDonald's comes up to him and says, hey, we really like how you were marketing McDonald's in this clown character. Can you come up with something and be a mascot for us moving forward so we can continue to use you in promotional material? And he sits down and he starts thinking about this. And he comes up with another clown character, 100% original, obviously, (laughs) not not at all inspired by the fact that he was Bozo the Clown. No, Why, why would you think that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like it's just as a pure coincidence that it's another clown character. But he names it Ronald McDonald, the Hamburger Happy Clown.
1: Introducing the world's newest, silliest and hamburger eatingest clown, Ronald McDonald. Now, where is that clown? Here I am, kids. Hey, isn't watching TV fun? Especially when you got
2: delicious McDonald's hamburgers.
1: Donald McDonald, the hamburger happy clown. Yeah. So uh, there's there's a side note here that I was unaware of. There is apparently a clown code that all like all clowns in the trade agree to, where they will not rip off each other's shtick or their look, uh, you know, too closely. Mm-hmm. So one quick procedural note. Uh, we have an additional non-consensual guest on the show today. It is my neighbor's dog downstairs. Uh, the most diplomatic way I can put this is that if you have a dog, make sure your dog is okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we're just gonna we're we're gonna roll through this, uh, and hopefully everything works out down there. So there are other versions of this origin story, but I think we can agree today, uh, Jonathan's Willard Scott's account is considered the most accurate, even though it's not officially mentioned in, you know, like on the McDonald's website or something. It, various executives have thanked Scott for his creation, and he talks about it in his book, the joy of living, and he makes that Bozo connection. Uh, He says, in part, he says there was something about the combination of hamburgers and Bozo that was irresistible to kids. That's why when Bozo went off the air a few years later, the local McDonald's people asked me to come up with a new character to take Bozo's place. So I sat down, created Ronald McDonald, and we, for better or worse, my friends, have video confirmation that this was true. This is where we get to some creepy parts. Uh, I think it's time we talk about those first McDonald's commercials, which is where the world learns about Ronald.
3: Yeah. um, Ronald does not look the way Ronald would look later on in his uh, storied career as mascot for McDonald's. Willard Scott's Ronald McDonald is a Frankenstein's monster of a clown that has uh, suffered a terrible... Uh, phasing a mistake. Like, you know, when you think about the mutants who can phase through walls and then sometimes they come to to complete so, uh, solid state in the middle of a wall and how terrible that is. He did that with a plate or a table of uh, fast food. So he's got like a, like a soda cup nose. He's got like a, the, uh, a a tray for a hat that has hamburgers and French fries on it. He's got a magic belt that produces hamburgers. Um, It is not, it's not a clown appearance that I would associate with being welcoming and friendly and uh, makes me want to go and have fast food. It makes me want to run the other way, but that's again, maybe it's just because it's a product of its time and I'm a product of my time. It's before my time. I'm not that old. And um, (laughs) I will say that the, the very first commercial that he appears in is my favorite. Because at the end of the commercial, there's some music and he's dancing in the background in the parking lot of this McDonald's. And he's dancing and dancing. And then the uh, the commercial comes to an end. You can tell the director has said, cut. But the camera continues to capture footage for about a second and a half later. So you just see Willard Scott as Ronald McDonald. Arm slack by his side, dead eye. <laughs> like it is, it is a it is a Walking Dead vision of of his version of Ronald McDonald.
2: He's Ronald McDonald, the hamburger happy clown. A McDonald's drive restaurant
4: is his favorite place
1: in town.
4: It's very much like, hey, dude, we get that? We got that. Okay, cool. Oh, we're still shooting. We, you're, we're gonna cut that in post, right? Okay, we are. <laughs> cool. And they didn't. No, John. I have two things I want to say. That uh, one is it's very much like he was like balling on a budget. That's what his setup is like. It's just like, uh, cup. Yeah, here we go. And Trey, here, bam! I got my outfit. Yeah. And second, um, this is kind of a teaser for a future episode we're gonna have. But have you ever seen the original Michelin Men? Oh, yes, yes.
3: I have not.
4: Oh, you're in for a treat. Look in the chat oh here gosh. on Riverside. You can see them.
3: Okay, I'm going to take a look, and this is my actual real-time reaction once a... Uh, oh, dear Lord.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the pince
3: the, uh... The, yeah.
1: Yeah,
3: it looks like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man got grilled. That's actually that is the best description
1: I think Max and I have heard about about that unfortunate costume. Uh oh, yeah, yeah. When we talk about different times, you know. Just think back on all the uh the early turn of the century uh photos you've seen of creepy Easter bunnies, odd Santa Clauses, things like that. This early Ronald McDonald very much does look like uh, a Frankenstein his his face is an agglomeration of what appears to be food and crime he's got sort of these uh french fried dreadlock looking hairs his nose is uh replaced by a, a cup that would probably be for soda and it it appears that after he's murdered several people he has smeared their blood <laughs> across his mouth right uh <laughs> It's got kind of a very
4: um, like Heath Ledger Joker smile kind of thing going on, but even smeared more intensely. Yes,
3: and this, these uh, are just no, the facts. listen, we we haven't we haven't reached Sunday yet. We aren't we aren't at Joker smiles yet. <laughs> we'll get oh, there. Right. But uh, I, I do I I do want to say that um, you know, again, this was a local commercial, right? This was not a national spot that aired across the United States. This is still an era where you're talking about broadcast television. Cable hasn't really become a thing yet. Uh, so you don't have markets that bleed over. Like if your antenna could pick up something from the next town over, you might see you know one of the channels from there. But this was not intended to be a national campaign. It was literally this one McDonald's restaurant that was using this character to advertise to locals.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a uh, a Ford dealership, like an auto dealership might have their own ad campaigns, but they don't overall represent Ford the company. You know, they're like Dave Davidson's, you know, uh, number one Ford dealer in northern Southwest Ohio.
4: I mean, to jump in here, I mean, this is one I think all three of us will know is uh, Donna and the Wolfman. We all know
3: what oh, that yeah. is, right? Yeah, no, I, I grew up right down the street. I grew up right down the street from uh, from that, from that uh, furniture dealership so yeah
1: oh that's cool
4: yeah well, there's a bunch of people listening right now who are like what the hell is donna and the wolfman <laughs> it's like no no no. we know what that is because that was a commercial that i played for so long in atlanta or like a g- general atlanta area
0: wolfman here you've got to see the price to believe in the gallery furniture hey wolfman where's donna now
2: i'm in new york city but i'll be back soon miss you
0: well, donna's gone i'm dealing like this Floor lamp, $19. Recliners, $88. Headboard, twin fuller queen, $20. Four-door chest, $39. That's gallery furniture, 2511 Roosevelt Highway in College Park, and 1600 Brownsburg Road and Gainesville. And hey, ask the wolf,
1: man. You know what? As a matter of fact, ridiculous historians, uh, go over on Facebook or uh, your social media of choice and let us know your favorite weird kooky commercials from your neck of the global woods. So despite all of the um, very detailed descriptions we've given you of uh, old Ronald here, he was a hit. People people loved this concept, right? And over the years, uh, he became a worldwide phenomenon. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that uh, he was sort of an integral piece of American pop culture. Eventually, people from other countries started thinking of Ronald McDonald, not just as a symbol of a fast food place, but as a symbol of some concept of the United States.
3: Yeah. And, you know, this was one of those things where by seeing how popular this character and this concept was to promote this one McDonald's, it became this, this idea to use it as a, a national uh, a symbol for the chain. And obviously, that's a huge, huge jump. And with that jump, we would see a a very rapid evolution of the character. It it would not be long before the nightmarish Scott version (laughs) of Ronald McDonald was left behind. And not only that, but we would see that McDonald's as an organization would codify the character and how the character is to be portrayed and how the character is to be referenced to anyone outside the organization.
1: Oh, yeah. You've hit on something that's just fascinating to me. So so behind the scenes, McDonald's always had this kind of ethos of absolute conformity, uniformity, right? Even down to little things like the number of sesame seeds on a bun, uh, reportedly. So it shouldn't surprise us that they templatized the appearances of Ronald McDonald, who was becoming kind of a secular Santa Claus. Uh, you and Max and I found that there was actually not one but a couple of official rule books for all actors playing Ronald. And I uh, I found a wonderful Reader's Digest article on this, and I thought maybe we could round robin some of the uh, some of the commandments. For would-be Ronalds, Uh, I changed the language a little because I think it's funny for them to be referred to as a Ronald. That part
3: was me, but the rest is true. Excellent. Uh, shall, Shall I begin? Please do. Commandment number one, never hug the kids. At most, a Ronald may only pat the children upon the back.
4: Commandment number two, a Ronald must also sign numerous waivers saying that they'll never reveal what they've learned working for the company.
1: Number three, a Ronald can and should promote the idea of fun
3: to their customers. They should not directly promote the food itself. Commandment the fourth. If kids ask, a Ronald cannot reveal to them the dark trade secret that burgers come from cows.
4: Commandment number five, when in character, A Ronald cannot eat McDonald's food due to makeup concerns.
3: Okay, yeah, it
1: makes sense. Uh, So uh, we've just got a couple more here. So here's commandment six. A Ronald has to be fit, or as Reader's Digest put it, quote, at least have a body that appears to be fit.
3: Man, I I long to have a body that appears appears to be fit. fit. Man, what body's shaming? (laughs) Here's the last commandment. A Ronald must follow a script when answering questions asked by customers. If they don't have an answer that fits, a Ronald is instructed to say, and this is true, ask someone wearing normal shoes.
1: (laughs) Which uh, I think is actually something that we can take from the Ronalds. I feel like that's a great way to (laughs) pass the buck in, in just any situation. Do you think I could get away with telling our boss that?
4: Oh, dude, especially on an email chain? Absolutely.
3: (laughs) And I remember being on a previous episode where there was a lot of talk about the dangers of wearing long pointy shoes. So normal shoes is a very important thing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Uh, Now we see that McDonald's at this time under the leadership of Croc fully, uh, they know they're onto something. In the 1970s or so, they ask a like 7071, they ask a marketing ad agency named Needham Harper and Steers to turn up the gas. As a result, the firm comes up with the idea of something called McDonaldland. Ronald, they decided, would no longer be a solo act. Now, this this thing runs from about 1971 to 2003, and I wanted to ask you guys do you recall ever seeing one of these commercials?
3: Oh my gosh, Ben, come on. I so I grew up in the 1970s. I lived less than a half mile from a McDonald's, which we could walk to from my house uh, in Gainesville, Georgia. I have distinct memories of various McDonald land characters and commercials. And uh oh my Droogies, you may have forgotten things being so scory alright and people quick to forget, but those visions haunt my nightmares to this day.
1: <laughs> I think that is that is a wonderful clockwork orange reference there. So yeah, McDonald Land is a trip. It's a it's a built-out, uh pretty well-imagined universe, uh that's kind of a a place of whimsy and wonder. Picture uh the Candy, uh, like the the candy warehouse in Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka adaptation, that's kind of what it looks like. And mm-hmm. there are uh, tons of anthropomorphic things, inanimate objects are animate and speaking. Uh, plants and food are also a capable of communication. Apple pie trees. Again, they, they're, it's very much a pro apple pie company, milkshake <laughs> volcanoes, hamburger patches. They even have a theme park, uh, all centered around items on the McDonald's menu. And this was for some reason, an important question for me. Yes, there are McDonald's restaurants in McDonald land. They're not worried about the inception of that.
3: Yeah, no, if you, if you look carefully, you'll see that the little spinny ride in the playground is still turning at the very end. So we don't know if we're still within McDonald <laughs> land or if we have actually escaped to reality. That, that question's left up to the individual customer.
1: hmm yeah. Your imagination mileage may vary. Now, they even had a theme song. And uh, Max, I don't know, do you, you think we can get away with playing this clip? Get yourself
2: ready Trip land. Take a friend and grab a hold of hand.
1: Okay, so that's a piece of the theme song. You can hear the whole thing in its entirety on YouTube pretty easily. Uh, you might be listening to this and thinking, hey, this sounds like an actual TV show. Well, you're right. And that will become a problem later. Don't worry, we'll get to it. Uh, but we, it, it might sound like we're spending a lot of time talking about how weird these early days were. But to be clear, uh, McDonald's as an organization in the real non-McDonaldland world uh, was doing some good things. They were doing some acts of charity.
3: Yes, that's right. So in 1974, uh, the Company McDonald's established the Ronald McDonald House, the original one in Philadelphia. Uh, Fred Hill, who was a football player for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, I believe it was his daughter who had leukemia. And so the concept was to build a house where families could stay if their children were hospitalized in the nearby hospital. So they wouldn't have to travel hours in and out of town in order to visit their kids. They could stay temporarily in this place and they wouldn't have to spend exorbitant amounts of money like at a hotel. And, you know, we wanted to bring this up because we are going to be kind of, you know, poking a lot of fun at uh, Ronald McDonald. I mean, the whole purpose of the character is to get kids to want to go eat fast food. So there are a lot of downsides that we can really talk about there. Mm -hmm. But we also want to acknowledge that this was an organization or this is an organization that also has done some some legitimate good work uh for various communities.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's an important point, you know. Uh it also might have as we'll come to see done some important work for Ronald McDonald when things got dicey, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so we mentioned there's a Pantheon. There's now there's a Wu-tang of McDonalds, right? They've got we've got a crew. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned one who is actually first on my list. Jonathan, can you tell us about Sunday? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where
0: America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: At retirement income, you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.
3: Yeah, so Sunday, aka Pup Face Killer, uh, was a anthropomorphic dog originally. Um, and here's the creepy thing about this dog character. First of all, it, it has almost like, like a, a, a tear type shape under one eye kind of made me think of like a David Bowie glam look. Mm-hmm. It has more like a a human mouth under its snout, which is truly disturbing uh, in its original incarnation. And it has the most chipper, upbeat personality you've ever heard, which is me lying, because it sounds like someone who is on the verge of needing to talk to a counselor. Uh, It is a person, it's this monotone, depressing voice. You're sitting there wondering, Who hated dogs so much (laughs) that they needed to create this character to exorcise their inner demon? Mm -hmm.
4: That person would be Ben Bullen, obviously. No, I love
1: (laughs)
3: dogs. I love all
1: animals. Uh, I hope that dog downstairs is okay. You're right, though. Uh, Sunday has what we would call big Eeyore vibes. You know, he's a little bit of a Mm -hmm. downer. He doesn't like ticks. He beefs it with the Hamburglar. Is particularly one thing called uh, Visitors from Outer Space, uh, where he insults the Hamburglar by calling him Hammy and Bunhead. Uh, and then that...
4: That that's kind of just sounds a little racist there.
1: Bunhead? Yeah. Like we're,
4: we're really... Uh, yeah, we don't, I don't know about that one. Yeah, right we don't...
1: I, far be it for us to disparage Sunday without knowing what Sunday's lived experiences are. But it's kind <laughs> of a... Uh, it's... You know, it's not the happiest dog. That's just true. That's part of the character. Uh, and this gives us a segue. So when I really want to talk about, just as a quick laundry list here, uh, we'll go through several of these Pantheon characters. We might spend more time on some than others. I loved the Hamburglar. You know what I mean? He's like fighting the system. In my understanding, you know, uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he's... He he's like that classic trope of so many mascots, you know, from uh the Trix Rabbit to the uh like the Noid. I think he clearly informs the Noid later.
3: He's got that beef going on. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, he wants to have that beef going on. Uh I wanna he's say got all that, that beef. That, <laughs> I wanna I wanna <laughs> say that uh that he was probably inspired by the, the character wimpy as well from the Popeye series. Oh, right. I can, I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Uh, the Hamburglar is always trying to have that big heist of all those juicy hamburgers and is just foiled. Usually he's hoisted by his own petard. Uh, it's normally his fault for, for getting caught. But yeah, the Hamburglar, uh, was one of my favorite characters too. Hmm. Out of the McDonald's Pantheon when I was growing up, I, I, uh, and I was more familiar with his second incarnation because, as we all learned, uh, Hamburglar had a Phoenix-like existence in that it, it existed in, in one form first, just like Ronald did, and then transformed somewhat afterward.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ham, the Hamburglar had a glow-up midway through his career. He's. <laughs> He started off as a, he's like a kind of a Benjamin Button thing going on here. He started off uh, as a villain and there was more than one villain in the, in McDonald land. Uh, And he was very clearly an older character. He had long stringy gray hair. Uh, He was bald at the top of his head. Uh, And he was a creepy old guy who desperately wanted to heist hamburgers. But then It's strange because originally he wasn't called the hamburger at all, hamburglar at all. He was called the lone jogger, which is uber creepy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh... That was,
3: it was supposed to be a take off the lone ranger because, like the lone ranger, he wore a mask, he had a wide brimmed hat. So he was like the lone ranger, but he was the lone jogger because he doesn't have a horse. He doesn't wander the range. That was the idea behind it. In retrospect, we can look back on that and just say like, yeah, that uh, all Sad sorts of creepy me. vibes. Yeah.
1: Maybe we, we've all watched too much uh, Law and Order or something but uh, lone, lone Jogger does <laughs> conjure different images. And also, I'll, I'll point out, I didn't see this discussed often, I'll point out that if you are an anti-McDonald's person, or your anti-Ronald's message, then uh, you could, with some validity, say that this puts exercising in a bad light. Anyway, whatever, whatever their motivation, the Lone Jogger became the Hamburglar character, and then the Hamburglar had his reverse aging moment, uh, and I think it was around 1985, mid-1980s. He evolves. He's no longer an old, angry uh, a- hamburger hoarder. He's uh, he's like a, a rebellious, mutinous, mischievous redhead, kind of Dennis the Menace, uh, and he gets a cape, and the cape is cool. Capes are cool. Uh, there's also Birdie the Early Bird. <laughs> I, I like, I was astonished by how many of these were new to me. Uh, there were the Fry Kids. I guess we should, we got to talk you about didn't know,
3: several. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Birdie because I remember when McDonald's introduced its breakfast menu. Cause again, I lived like half a mile away from a McDonald's and that was happening right around that time. And the character was introduced in an effort to promote that. And, you know, I like the idea of being able to walk half a mile and grab a whole bunch of really substandard pancakes I actually really did love those pancakes it was the one thing at McDonald's I actually like to eat and um and so I remember that character very well and she was extremely klutzy. and uh chipper you know had a had a a positive personality but was kind of seen as being a, a clumsy character who was always getting in her own way
4: because mm. I have a question I want to post y'all and just just kind of see what y'all think about this but you know and a lot of let's call it what it is marketing to children what they'll commonly do is they'll portray you know the heroes as children and they'll portray Mm. you know the villains as adults and i mean i wonder if like that was uh, like a whole marketing like thing they were thinking about because with like the hamburglar him being like an old evil guy but then it's like oh this guy's not evil he's friends with all of them he instantly becomes a child basically more perceived like a child.
1: Yeah. That's because yeah.
4: you know McDonald's will say they they'll be like no we never ever intentionally marketing the children all that's all these companies will but we all know I mean marketing towards directly the children has been a thing we've done in this country for a very long time I mean we've done an episode about Ovaltine which is directly marketing the children and you know now it's it's basically illegal you can still get around it sometimes but. I'm wondering if that was a concerted effort they might have taken.
1: I think that's a good point.
3: Yeah, I know I would I would bet on that as being part of the strategy that it was literally how can we Uh, convince more kids to be excited about this product so that they bug their parents to go and we can sell things to their parents. And I think that's exactly what was going on. You also have to look at when these commercials were airing and a lot of them were airing during the after school programming that would be on as soon as kids would get home. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm a latchkey kid. I'd come home, turn on the TV and there would be commercials for McDonald's right next to commercials for things like GI Joe and He-Man. So this was, this was a concerted and uh strategic effort. It was definitely, you know, it had purpose behind it. It wasn't just creating colorful characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think uh, you're onto something there, Max. We, we know that this was successful. If you look at a lot of McDonald land commercials from the time, Ronald is joined with kid sidekicks, right. And they're sort of, you know, they're, they're keeping this creepy old man from stealing the burgers. Uh, so there's definitely some psychology at play. There are also, you know, functionaries and authorities in this world. Uh, Mayor McCheese is is one of the most notable examples. He's a guy um, kind of like maybe in the distant past related to Speedy because he also has a hamburger head, but his is horizontal. So like the, the bun and the cheese and the burger is kind of his mouth. And uh, he is... For some reason, wearing a diplomat's sash. He's very like he is the, um, he is the oligarch of McDonald's, right? He is most yes, definitely. Right. He, he's the one percenter and, uh, he has spectacles, etc. And he's kind of like lovable and bumbling and, you know, always getting himself into hijinks. Uh, he is based on another character called HR Puffin Stuff. Have you guys heard of HR Puffin Stuff?
3: Yes the creation of uh, of Sid and Marty Croft who were uh, who were <laughs> they were pioneers <laughs> in a, of a sorts of, uh, of children's entertainment, uh, mostly looked back on as being uh, uh, purveyors of psychedelic uh, material. Like if you watch old Puff and Stuffs uh, footage, you're thinking, this looks like everyone involved. From the actors to the crew to the editors to, to to people who were probably just getting a contact tie crossing the street, they were all on something and it's bleeding through the screen uh, that was some that was something that you could really take home with Sid and Marty Croft and I I mentioned this in our notes way at the bottom over in the little tangent side, but just since we're talking about it, I want to mention really quickly, Here in Atlanta, we, for a short while, had the Sid and Marty Croft World, an amusement park. Hmm. It was in what is now the CNN Center. But back then, we just called it the Omni. And if you had ever been in there, (laughs) this would be many years ago now. But if as a kid you had ever visited the Omni, you would have noticed there was this enormous freestanding escalator. I mean, it was longer than you think an escalator should be allowed to be. Oh, yeah. And that was the escalator that would take you up to the Sid and Marty Croft world. It isn't there anymore. The CNN Center still is there, and you can see part of where the escalator was. But uh, yeah, that was something that as a kid I always wondered about. That closed six months after it opened in 1976. I was born the year before, so if I ever did go, I certainly don't remember it.
1: Wow, it just it just informed your lifelong terror of escalators.
3: That's true. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's terrible. I have fallen down an up escalator for about three days straight, and it was awful. <laughs> so,
4: hey, escalator escalators suck, Jonathan. I'm with you on this, man. Escalators are the worst.
3: Are you serious? They're the
1: stairs of the future.
4: No, escalators suck. <laughs> Elevators suck too. Just give me some stairs, man. That's all I want. Uh, stairs. I
1: like stairs. I'm a fan. Ah, uh, yeah. This is okay. So the Croft thing is going to be important later. But wait, as Billy Mays was wont to say, there's more McDonald's land is home to tons of characters. Captain Crook, Officer Big Mac, the Professor, the McNugget Buddies, the Happy Meal Gang, Uncle O'Grimacy, for some reason, Cosmic, a cavalcade of others. But Jonathan, there's one guy we haven't really mentioned yet. There's a character named Grimace. Okay. He's a man of mystery, uh-huh. and then we have a question for you that I will uh, I will defer to Max for.
4: All right, Jonathan, do you ever listen to the NPR game show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me?
3: I do, and I, I just want to say that those who know me and my alter ego, I feel really uncomfortable that the tables, they have been turned <laughs> upon me.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, don't worry, don't worry. It's not really a question. Oh, actually, yeah, I guess it it's is like a question. It's like question-ish. So this... Yeah, so this is from Way Don't Tell Me a number of months ago. I asked Ben and Noel this and I got a very genuine reaction out of the two of them, including having to beat Ben for a word he said, but I'm going to ask you this. Do you know what Grimace
3: is? Uh, do I know what Grimace is? I don't. I the I always thought he was just some sort of indeterminate anthropomorphic thing. I do know that He used to be a bad guy and he had four arms and stole milkshakes. So he's distantly related to Goro from Mortal Kombat. But apart from that, I don't know.
4: So this is according to the people at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. They had this as a poll question on the show. I've seen many people debate this, but I'm just telling you, this is the answer they gave. He is a taste bud.
3: That's absolutely horrifying. I will not sleep tonight, and it's your <laughs> fault, Max.
4: <laughs> I feel like I've achieved my maximum goal for the day now.
3: Mm.
1: So I I was surprised into profanity when I when I learned this, and it's it's a great question to ask. And Jonathan, my uh my response, or my assumption were very much in line with, with yours. <music>
0: We're gonna take a flight, a one-way flight from McDonald Land back to yeah. Texas. Wait, Max,
4: what's one up? more thing. One more yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, you he yeah. know what grimace is.
1: He's a blob, right? Purple blob. Is he catching? No. Is he a condiment? What?
4: He's one giant taste bud.
1: Oh, gross! Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's so fucked <laughs> up. Oh, I'm not okay oh, with that. Oh, beep! Ben,
0: beep. <laughs> I'm not.
1: I'm not. I'm not okay with this. Like why is it not a tongue? I talked about that last time. If you're going to make it that big, why is it
3: one giant taste bud? Why why is it not just a a blob of rancid ice cream goo at the bottom of one of the perpetually broken ice cream machines?
1: Ooh, and there is a conspiracy theory about that, which goes to a different show, but uh I've I've got to send you. I've got to send you some articles. So, yes, there's there's this whole <laughs> thing happening. Kids know all about it. Uh, You know, of course, the appeal is pretty apparent for kind of thrifty caregivers because you can buy a Happy Meal and you're feeding the kid and you're also getting them a toy. So you can potentially like skip the trip to the toy store. I don't know how often that worked, but. It's important. You can tell already, ridiculous historians, this world has been fleshed out. This is beyond the level of world building that most other fast food companies are going to engage in. And McDonald's land is a lot like a TV show. Turns out we're not the only ones who thought so. Uh, remember uh, who uh, Jonathan? You just mentioned a few minutes ago. Sid and Marty Croft in 1973, they sued McDonald's and they said, "Look, this whole McDonald Land concept is plagiarized from our work." the The jury, which I have in notes as the Justy, uh, the, the jury found in favor of the Crofts. McDonald's was first ordered to pay 50 grand, then they were ordered to pay one million dollars. And they were also told that they have to pull some characters from their campaigns or reimagine them into more legally distinct designs. Yet still, they soldiered on. From 1998 to 2003, Ronald had his own uh, video series, I'm not calling it a TV show because it was straight to video. It was called The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald.
3: Yeah, that's where Sunday the Dog first showed up.
1: Oh, okay so it's kind of a darker edgier
3: i mean have you seen pictures of sunday the dog i think it's accurate i mean ben this brought the beef <laughs> this brought the beef
1: <laughs> i'm loving that we're going through a beef phase uh so
4: we're going through this beef phase and not telling anyone we're what We're not going to
1: explain it sorry jonathan it's just like looper uh so <laughs> behind uh the fast food counter though Trouble is a brewing, and we're not talking about that hot coffee lawsuit. Internally, McDonald's is conflicted about whether they should keep showcasing these characters or move in a new direction. A new ad agency is in the mix, Leo Burnett, and they say, "Look, McDonaldland, all its inhabitants—the time is past. Goodbye to the old man and the mischievous young hamburger. They should be relegated to the sidelines in favor of our new slogan, our new campaign." I'm loving it. And they won the argument. McDonaldland characters didn't go away, but they were no longer front and center. This could rightfully be called the purge of McDonaldland. Ronald, one of the lone survivors, probably felt something in the wind. Increasingly, it was time to reassess the clown. And this is where we're going to end part one, I think, because now we're getting to the turn, right? We've set up the mystery. Now we're going to investigate it. Uh, Jonathan, I know that when we originally asked you to do this, uh, we did not say it was going to be a two-parter. But thank you very, very much for coming on the show.
3: It became abundantly clear, abundantly clear as I looked at the notes that there was no way this could be a single... Episode and just like another story about a beloved clown in Derry, Maine, we're gonna divide it up into two chapters, and y'all, this will be it.
4: (laughs) Oh my god. I'm going to love how like we're, we're saying this whole thing, like oh, Jonathan's going to be back for part two. And then we're just not going to address the fact that Matt Frederick's going to be on part two with us instead.
1: <laughs> 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 so uh, yes, uh, Jonathan will be returning for part two coming later this week. In the meantime, as always, thanks of course to Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram, Chris Rossi, Otis, Jeff Coat, Thanks to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Noel Brown, who will be returning soon. Jonathan, one of the reasons that we're so appreciative of you uh, coming coming on the show for this two-parter is that you are one of the busiest of all our colleagues, which is saying a lot. Uh, when you are not hanging out, classing up ridiculous history, if you're one of the world's leading experts in technology podcasts with the long-running show Tech Stuff. Could you tell us a little bit about that and where to find you as well as more of your work?
3: Absolutely. So Tech Stuff is my my love. It's my pride and joy. It's a show that we originally launched back in 2008. Uh, The current incarnation of Tech Stuff, it's a single host show. We publish five times a week and we kind of cover everything about technology. Uh, some episodes are more technical in that I will go into a bit more detail about how stuff works. Hey, that's a throwback, hey. Mr. Bowen. And then some of the episodes are more about the impact of technology and how it is changing the way we live or things that we should be concerned about, whether it's surveillance or it's the the fact that data is the new currency. It's not crypto, folks. It's your information. That's that's the currency of the world today. And that's why everybody wants as much of it as they possibly can get. So that's kind of what the show's all about. I also do some other fun stuff. You'll be able to hear very soon the return of the large Hadron Collider. It's been a hi- hiatus for a bit. But that's my goofy pop culture podcast with my friend Ariel, where we cover some of the geek news of the week, but we also mash up Unrelated Geek Properties and find out what happens when, say, the Transformers uh, has a run-in with My Little Pony. Um, And it's brilliant. And, uh, Michael Bay, you can call me anytime you want. (laughs) And uh, we
1: can't wait for you to get in touch with us, folks. Uh, As we are building toward part two of this series, again, we want to hear your wacky regional commercials. Uh, we've got a pretty good horse in the race with Donna and the Wolfman. The Shane Company uh, at radio ads always, you know, they're a thing. They're kind of weird. Yeah, they're <laughs> pretty weird. And for that, uh, we're going to call it a day. Tune in next week in the immortal words of our pal, Noel. We'll see you next time, folks.
0: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here.
0: And I'm Austin Hankwitz.
2: We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks.